0: You're listening to The Lively Show, episode 346. You're listening to The Lively Show. This podcast is designed to uplift, inspire, and add a little extra presence to your everyday. Hello, my friends. Welcome to today's show. Before I get started, I'm going to do a quick disclaimer. The neighbors upstairs, I'm not sure if you guys are aware, but there's a lot of people spending a lot of time at home lately here in Portugal and uh, the neighbors upstairs are home and they have a little one. And so the floors for them are very, very close to my ceiling. This is an old building with beautiful, beautiful ceilings. If you've seen on Instagram, you can see my ceilings are stunning. But what comes with the original hardwood floors and ceilings that are so beautiful is that there's very little sound insulation. So I actually can sometimes hear my neighbors snore at nighttime. So if you hear any noise upstairs while I'm sharing today, just like, you know, know that we're doing the best we can with the audio that we have right now. So let's move on to today's show. Today I'm doing another Q&A episode because people on the Lively Community app have been asking for more and they sent in a bunch of new questions. If you haven't already downloaded the app, you're welcome to do so and join us. There's about 14 or 1,500 people now in the app, in the community, totally free to download in the app store on your phone right now. So you could just go search the lively community and you can download it and start chatting and meeting people. I've seen people find roommates in different parts of the world. People are sharing beautiful vistas in nature and the nature and beauty section from all over the world. So if you feel a little wanderlust, that is a great place to go see. A little peek into other lively community listeners and where they are in the world, which is quite stunning. And then, yeah, the Super Woo crew is definitely active and sharing as always. And people are sharing their business opportunities in the business related board, etc. And here on my little lively show feed, I have a whole bunch of questions. And also just so you guys know, we have the collaboratory drop-ins going on next week and two collaboratory classes. So there's a dating course and income, which is about busting the money stories that your mind is holding back in limitation to. So if that feels interesting to you, you can go over to jesslivelycom collaboratory or on the app, you can go onto the hamburger button at the bottom and then click over to the calendar. And you can see all of the upcoming drop-in sessions that are happening for the week come up And you can also get class packs. So if you want to do a bunch of different drop-in topics, because there's so many varied topics, you can also do a three or six pack if you want to get a discount on doing multiple drop-in sessions. Or like I said, there's also the drop in courses, which are longer, not just a one-off hour long class, but a you know five or six week or four week, whatever the program's course length is. Totally there if you want to. And also IVFT is coming up in March. So if you're feeling called and your intuition wants to become an inner voice facilitator and do IVFT training, you are welcome to also go over to JessLively.com slash IVFT and you can register now if you want to get in early. Okay, now let's go on. So we've got some new questions. I am going to start, just go in the order and go for as long. As I can. I'm going to also try to be a little quicker with the question answers. Some of the ones I did last week took like 20 minutes for me to answer the questions. I got a little carried away. Today I'm going to try to be a little bit more succinct when possible. Okay. So Kalia M. Corsiglia asked Hi, Jess. My question is about your experience offering coaching services over the years. How did you start out finding coaching clients before versus after you started living in flow? I felt called to offer one on one coaching for over a year now, but my mind gets caught up in the story of how to find clients. Thanks so much. Okay, so I truly, truly was, in a sense, living in flow when it came to my career and how things unfolded, but I didn't know about flow. So it wasn't that I consciously had a thought, I am living in flow. But what the reality was, was very flowy. So I was living it without knowing it was a concept, basically, which is honestly amazing. So very fortunate that I had the instinctive You know, guidance inside of me, my intuitive guidance was guiding me to flow. So basically, I, if you guys don't know already, was a jewelry designer for 14 years, from 15 years old to about 24, 25 years old. That was actually an accident in flow as well. It wasn't an accident in that it wasn't a mental decision. It just kind of happened. I was making jewelry at a pool when I was 15 and some women bought it. And then I continued to do so in college or in high school and then got into 12 stores in high school, went to University of Michigan Business School to learn how to grow my jewelry company. I was sadly disappointed by my business school experience. I did not research. I knew the school was very good. One of the top business schools is the University of Michigan Ross School of Business, but I didn't study very clearly at all. Very rookie mistake. Uh, What kind of business do they focus on? There's so many aspects or ways of business. And uh, the University of Michigan Business School back in 2003 to 2008, when I was there, was heavily, heavily focused on investment banking, mergers and acquisitions, accounting at the big three. Like it was a very competitive, very mental and very work hard, play hard environment. It's changed a bit over the years since then. So it's no longer nearly as strict and crazy as it used to be in Cutthroat but it was intense and I was here with my little jewelry company going wait I thought I wanted to like learn how to be an entrepreneur but there was only for the undergrads like one course on business how to write a business plan but I already had an operative business I already was operating my business. I was in 12 stores by that point. Like I was doing great. I just wanted to learn how to grow and expand, but that was not the focus of the business school that I was in. So that actually was the impetus for everything that I've done ever since. It was the right time to be in the wrong place in the sense that it didn't make me satisfied. It didn't make me feel fulfilled. I was deeply unhappy. To the core of my being, I knew that this was not going to be the way And getting a job and then getting the next job and climbing a corporate ladder as they were training us to was not going to make me happy. I knew that because I was so miserable at step one. I didn't fool myself by thinking that by step four or five, you know, 10 or 20 years later down the line, I'd be happy. So I remember standing in the business school library and I made (laughs) this realization dawned upon me. One, there had to be a different way to live than what I was being trained to do. Two, I didn't know the answer to what the other way to live life that wasn't work hard, play hard, and this very, like, how much money, how successful can you be in the mental, traditional American sense of that business school. And then I was like, I don't know what it is, but I know I need it because I'm so unhappy right now. And then I made a promise to myself that there has to be other people that aren't happy or satisfied with this kind of extreme way of approaching life. And so once I figure it out for myself first, step one, figure it out for me. And then two, help others that want to live differently as well. So that's truly still from like, that's the day zero of everything that I've ever done ever since. I took the jewelry company full-time after college so that I could be in charge of my time. And I wasn't going to have my mind chasing a corporate ladder or external approval and validation from a company and a boss and that kind of stuff. So I used the jewelry company to pay the bills. It was truly my day job. You know, a lot of people keep a job while they're doing their side hustle and they're trying to get the thing that they want to do started. My own jewelry company was my side hustle that I used to get started and then help others once I figured that out. So... I started a blog about a year or a year and a half after graduation. And it was just at the time I thought I would need to have a TV show like Oprah and Martha Stewart to help people. And I thought a book would get me to that TV show where I could help people. So then I started this blog actually as the book proposal content creator, basically. Instead of using Microsoft Word to actually create the book proposal, I thought I'll use a blog template and format because it just seemed less overwhelming and daunting to post every day. I, in the late 2008, started reading blogs for the first time. They were very new at the time and I was enjoying it. And I just thought that the post format just seemed more comfortable. So here I am doing a long story to a question, but okay. So basically that blog, I did not expect anyone to read at all. That was just for me to make a book proposal that then I would turn into the book one day and then to a TV show after that. That was all I had in my mind at the time. So that was the original thought process. But what occurred was that I had this jewelry company, right? So I was in the meantime paying my bills and doing this jewelry company. And in the recession of 2008, a lot of the wholesale boutiques that I used to sell to, so I had about a hundred stores selling my jewelry across the country and a lot of them closed down or stopped buying nearly as much at the time. And so I kind of had to shift my focus and priority from wholesale accounts at the same time. So I decided to advertise on some blogs, just kind of on a whim, because I was enjoying reading them, like Joanna Goddard, Cup of Joe, and some other blogs. I think I might have even advertised in the early days on... This could be wrong, but I wonder. I did a bunch over time because I figured out that it was actually very effective. So over time, I did a lot of blogs and marketing of my jewelry company. I think Young House Love might have possibly even been one, which is so great and funny to think about now because Sherry is a good friend of mine now. But uh, yeah, that was back then. And then I happened to do on the jewelry site that I had. And by the way, those little blog ads at the time were very successful. A lot of people were so loving blogs as a new emerging market and thing that they were loving to read. And the jewelry companies or the other like handmade accessory companies or small businesses that were advertising on the sidebar of these new blogs were really click through rate because people are just so new and excited to support and see what else was out there. So my jewelry company, I had done one amazing thing. On a whim, I changed my blog for the jewelry company to this makeundermylife.com URL, this proposal blog. Instead of using the Jess LC blog, which I had for the jewelry, I made that switch and that was everything. I didn't mentally know what would happen later, but I just was writing on that blog for the book proposal thing. And what ended up happening was people clicked over from the jewelry ad, say a popular and well-read blog, they go see my jewelry company, Jess LC, back in the day, and then they'd see the blog link. And because they were blog readers, they wanted to read other blogs. This was like so new and exciting to them. They clicked over and then they would find Make Under My Life, this book proposal blog. So even though I never initially started the blog as a way for helping people. What I found is that because of this little fluke side thing of like, let's try some jewelry ads on other blogs, that became this strange funnel over to this blog. I got readers pretty quickly and I didn't expect any readers. So the fact that I had like five, 10, 50, 100 starting to come over. I was like, whoa, I'm helping people right now and I don't have a TV show and I don't have a book, but I could just sit in my little studio apartment and type on this blog and I can help people right away okay, so I spent half my day after I started having that realization dawn upon me on the blog. And I spent half my day working on the jewelry company and half my day working on makeundermylife.com. And I changed it from a book proposal kind of focus to just helping people. You know, every day I would post like five to seven times a week and I truly loved it. It was so fun, met so many friends along the way that were bloggers and readers as well. And I just started helping immediately right where I was. Didn't need anything big and fancy, it turned out. And so over the time of writing that blog, I did it for five years. And that was five years before the podcast. So 2009 to 2014 was the blog years. And then 2014 to now has been the podcast years. But those first few years of this website, over time, people started asking me, the readers started asking me to help them with their, like to be a coach, basically. But I, you know, always wanted to help them with their lives and how to live a more meaningful, joyful, easeful life. But at the time, they saw my jewelry company. And in the recession, a lot of people lost their jobs. So a lot of people all of a sudden wanted to be entrepreneurs and they didn't know how. And here I was since I was 15 doing this jewelry company. So that was the thing I knew the most. And so that's the first thing people asked me to start coaching and helping them work with them one-on-one to know how to start their own company. And so that was what I actually started with was business coaching as the first way that I started helping other people. But over time of like a year or two of doing that and focusing on it, I did workshops around the country, in the United States, and it was really fun. And I enjoyed the business coaching. It was something I knew for so long of my own life. My whole career had been entrepreneurial, so I knew how to start something with a bag of $5 beads and turn it into a full-time career, so that's what I was helping people do. But over the time of the coaching, one thing that occurred is I started to do inner voice coaching with the clients because they're spending all this money on me and they wanted me to tell them initially what companies they should start. They'd have like five ideas and they'd wanna you know, have me listen to their ideas and then tell them which one to do based on my experience, which one I thought would be the most successful for them. And I realized that was a recipe for disaster. How did I know what they should do? But I knew their intuition did. And as was just in the beginning of using my inner voice at that time, so I just started helping my clients get in their inner voices to hear which idea they should focus on. And then we'd spend the time together after the first five minutes of getting them into their inner voice about their business and which idea to focus on. Then we would spend the rest of the hour actually talking about how to implement the idea that their inner voice told them was the one to go with. So that was early days of inner voicing, was all the way back then in like 2010, 2011, working with these clients that were business coaching clients. But over time, they also had a hard time, I noticed, implementing these business ideas in their lives. Then I realized that if their life's not working and you know, there's other bigger issues at play, their business is very unlikely to be super easy flowing and fluid. So then I started also and always had wanted to help people with their lives on the bigger scale. So that eventually shifted from business coaching over to, I guess you could call it life coaching, but I never identified as a life coach. I never got any official training as a life coach, but over time, that's where I placed my focus with helping people. And then over time, obviously the energy flow and alignment is, oh, and then life with intention started. Yeah. That was my big focus for those early years was values-based intentions. And life with intention was a program. I think 2000 people took it or something, something quite substantial. A large number of people took that course. It was amazing. Honestly, I look back on that and I'm like, damn, like that was a good class. Like I honestly think it's still to this day for somebody that's not ready to go into the non-physical energy or the channels or all the other things that we focus on in the inner voice here today, you know, at this point, if they're still in the mental mode and maybe the efforting mode, life with intention still has so much because what the premise is based on with these uppercase V values, I used to call them, we're just so effective. They help the mind line up with the intuition without even realizing it, basically. So anyways, that was amazing. And then Flow With Intention and all of the energy in Abraham and Law of Attraction and everything else that you guys are probably more familiar with from the podcast seasons in the last five years or so happened since then. So that is how my coaching clients happened. I poured my heart and soul into the blog for half the day back in 2009 to 2015 and those listeners became clients. So that is not to say that that is how it's going to work for you. Remember, there's no two rainbows are the same, no rivers are the same, there's no two mountains that are identical. So to think that your path should ever reflect another person's exact stepping stones and steps along the way, is insane and in complete mental mode. I know that people try to replicate and do successfully, like looking at, let's look at franchises, for example, like there are a lot of mental approaches to business. Yeah. That's like an understatement, but the basic awareness that I have now is that awareness always comes through each consciousness uniquely. So your path will be distinct to you. No one else will have exactly that path that I had nor if they did try and you tried to do exactly what I did, it won't contextually work at this time in era of our humanity. Humans are reading a lot less blogs than they used to. The blog advertising was extremely effective back then, but probably far less so right now. Not that it couldn't be used right now, but just not to the same effect that it had for me at the time, because it's all to the now moment that you're now in, that you need to innovate in the now way that's right for you. But as I went through this, I did not know what was behind the next step. I just took the next step and the next step that my intuition led me to. And so that's the same for you. That path is the same, but what that path will be and where it will traverse you to will be distinct and unique for you. So I don't know, I have no clue what your inner voice would tell you specifically to do for coaching, but I would know that you could ask your inner voice for that or you could do a session with an inner voice facilitator if you wanted to help with that. Or if you felt like there were money blocks in the way you wanted to do income, there's a lot of avenues to help you basically help the mind get out of the way and let the inner voice shine through. That would be my suggestion for you, but that's my also personal path in case you are curious since you asked. Okay, now we have Allison Merith who said, hi Jess, thanks for another Q&A episode. I love these. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on seasonal depression and any thoughts on flowing through darker emotional seasons, both literal darkness in Northern climates and figurative darkness for others experiencing times of hardship. Thanks for all you do. Okay, thoughts on seasonal depression and any thoughts on flowing through darker emotional seasons. Well, I've had many darker emotional seasons in the cocoon phase of the last two and a half years that I had, or you know, in the last few years, there's definitely been some phases of that. And now because of the consciousness that I was in in those phases, oh, like I can see the gifts of them, but that's because the awareness was alongside it. So they were deep experiences at the time and my mind did not find them fun, but the gift of them was that ultimately because my awareness was alongside me, there was a ability to release and liberate through those darker seasons. So they weren't just dark and then they were dark and then they were dark and nothing changed. They were actually transitioning into lightness. So it wasn't like I was in a groundhog's day, just like an actual winter season goes from winter to spring. So over time you get darker, 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 and then they start to get lighter, 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 lighter. And then it gets warmer, warmer, warmer. That's actually been my experience with my seasons of what you would say were difficult or heavy. And there was a lot of beanbag releasing, and we have beanbag sessions through IVFT sessions. If you do with someone, you can learn how to do that for yourself. You could do beanbag sessions. Actually, they're in the collaboratory drop-ins that are specifically on that topic. So there's many ways now that you can learn with a facilitator how to do that if you don't already know how. I highly recommend working with someone if you haven't done so before, because there's a huge difference between thinking you know it and literally having the experience. It's truly the difference between thinking about having a baby and literally having a baby. So that thought process is not the actual releasing process. Thinking about the concept is not doing the concept. So having someone to help you in the experience, kind of like learn how to surf, you know, a surf podcast is not the same as actually knowing how to surf in the ocean. I know the concepts of surfing, but if I got on a board, I would not know really well what I'm doing at all, even though I have actually been taken two classes in the past. But especially if I hadn't taken any course, I'd have no clue how to actually literally surf in the ocean if I was given a board. So I highly recommend having someone just to help you hold the space and help you get into the experience in an effective way. But that said, I don't know. I don't have a lot of, to be honest, I don't have thoughts on seasonal depression. Like I don't have any experience with it. I don't have any thoughts, to be honest. I don't think about it. So I don't probably have much to share there. I'm sure many people have written or studied about it, but I personally don't focus on it. So I guess I don't have anything to say on that. But on the darker seasons, I'd say they ultimately in awareness and releasing in an effective way or fashion could be a true gift. Because if you know how to go into those heavier emotions and release them effectively, they no longer sting and stay in your life the way they used to. So that would be like my number one recommendation is like the best thing that happens when difficult things arise is that if you know how to release them effectively, they don't have to stick around. So you don't have to go through this every season in the same way. Like You do make progress as you do release, but what you'll end up finding is you know how to do it is that... If your awareness is really in a heavy shedding mode, it can feel like overwhelming. Like when will it ever be done? Because everybody has typically hundreds of them accumulated and I've released hundreds of them in my own life. But now it's very rare that I have a beanbag, if at all. Like, It's just amazing to be living this much. But that was not how it felt for those two and a half years where I was having some one to five a day. It was just constantly happening, but I knew at least I had enough awareness to know how to release effectively. And I knew that it was a phase. It was kind of like going through non-physical, spiritual puberty or emotional puberty. Before that period, I was just in reactivity from those emotions. But once I learned how to liberate from those emotions, it really got a lot better. But at the time, it was a heavy season of of time. And if you guys have seen the Instagram stories, they're still in there on the highlight on Instagram at Jess C as in Cookie Lively. You can go see um, the Inner Selfies feed highlight stories. You could see pictures of me from when I was heavily releasing versus after. And you're like, whoa, what a makeover. Because you could just see the heaviness and the density in my face and my eyes as I was going through those periods. It was intense but it did not last. So that's the good news in awareness. Okay. Now we have Bobby who said, hello, Jess, I have a question. What is the best way to release blocks and resistance to things you'd like to manifest in life? Emotional beat bag releasing. That would be where I'd suggest. And if you haven't known how to do that, like I said, the collaboratory has classes that can help you in just an hour long session, or you could work with a uh, inner voice facilitator and they can help you through that process as well. If you want to know how to do that and find a facilitator, it's jesslively.com slash find a facilitator. I love that we have this now for you guys. Like, I love that you get to work with someone from around the world to actually do this, not just listen passively to something, but actually with someone. It's kind of like you're, instead of watching gymnastics on TV, you actually get to go to the gym and have your own personal trainer kind of coach to help you do the moves in real time, in your life, in an active way. So excited about that. So now we have Aliyah Safa who said, hi Jess, how do you know it's the authentic inner voice and not just the thinking mind? What if my brain is just coming up with this stuff? How do I get a transcendent voice that is beyond my human conditioning and experience? Thank you for addressing this point. Okay, here is my top tip. Okay, when you hold and listen for the inner voice inside, when you exhale and you listen, if you hear the first answer and you're not sure if your mind made it up, stay in listening mode longer. And your inner voice will give you a second way of saying the thing it said in the first place, or even you wait for the second answer and then you wait for the third answer if you're not sure. But what will happen as you hold open longer, as you listen longer to the inner voice, not just the first answer, it could say yes to whatever you're asking. And then you're like, well, I don't know if my mind thought that up. Then stay open and your inner voice will say something else And if it aligns synonymously to the first answer, but it wouldn't be the way your mind would think a thought, it wouldn't come up with that word or that way of phrasing it or that answer, then you know it's your inner voice. Or you could do the third time if you're still not sure. But by the third time, it's giving you a third answer that's the same answer, but in its own different way. You're gonna get to some weird way that your inner voice is gonna translate this over to you that your mind would not think. So your first answer might seem like your mind, but the second and third will not seem like your mind. So I do that all the time. I'll just hold open a beat longer and the inner voice will just rephrase it. That's what it is. The inner voice can rephrase the first answer again and again and again, as many times as you need. And as it keeps rephrasing the answer, because you're still listening mode, still listening mode, still listening mode, essence of the answers will stay consistent, but how your mind interprets the frequency of that essence answer will keep changing, but stay the same. But the way that it changes and shifts it will become way different than how your mind would think. And that's how you know it's your inner voice. So there you go. Answer to that. Oh, this is Lauren Malmquist. Hi, Jess. I'm just repeating my question from last week. I remember a while back you were talking about healing something on your foot, maybe your wart. Would love to hear you speak more on that. I have a severe eczema on my hands. I have a hunch it's some sort of energetic block because my work is through my hands, but I haven't been able to clear it this is so cute. So Lauren Malmquist, if I am remembering this right, and I'm pretty 99% sure this is the same. She was an assistant to me, an intern for me in the jewelry business years and years ago. So anyways, how cute is that? Oh, I love it. Anyways, what a full circle moment to see this question. Hi, Lauren. (laughs) Um, Okay. So in terms of the war. Basically, I just thanked it for 10 minutes or something like this. If you guys don't remember the show from last week, someone mentioned that I have shared the story that I had a planter's wart on the bottom of my foot. Actually, someone recently also told me that they did what I did and their wort went away too on their foot. So, so if you got a planter's wart, <laughs> feel free to try this. We've got two people that have had success with it so far. Um, basically, I had this planter's wort on the bottom of my foot. I also had a planter's wort when I was young on my bottom of my foot as well. So I, I actually don't know if it's true, but the way I felt into having the new planter's wort as an older person was like kind of like a beanbag. Like I had so much stress and anxiety from the first planter's wort when I was young. They used liquid nitrogen to freeze it off over like. I don't even remember the amount of time, but it was months and months and months of going to the dermatologist and having him freeze this wart for like a minute and a half and 30 second bursts or something like this. But on the bottom of your foot, it was just so painful and so sensitive. And it was so arduous getting rid of those warts, like one wart, like split into two when I was young. And so it was like, I'm sure I had emotional beanbags from all of that stress of that situation and the pain emotionally that I probably didn't release. I just like grinned and bared it and like did what I could, but it was intense. So when I was older, I had this feeling that I was kind of like getting the wart. It could have just been a fluke, but it did kind of feel in the phase of releasing emotional beanbags like this was part of getting out the stuff in the the garage so to speak. I've been saying this in cocoon a lot. Like the emotional baggage that you have, like you di- when you're little you don't know how to deal with it, so you just put it in the garage and you don't fully release it as it's happening and so it goes in the emotional garage. And then in the cocoon phase with the dragon phase you bring it all out and you have to look at it and release all that stuff. It's like going to goodwill, but it's actually just dissolving all those emotional blocks you've been tregging around with without having realized it from the point of having it to that point of realization and releasing. So anyways, I had this wart, and I definitely didn't want to go to a doctor and get it frozen off with liquid nitrogen. So I tried a bunch of like herbal remedies for months and months. I had this wart for maybe not even a year, but a long time. And eventually I just decided just out of running out of ideas that sounded good to me at the time, I just thanked it for the fact that it had been with me around the world for that year more than anyone else. There's no other human I'd spent time with more than that work or my body for that matter. So like, I just thanked it for 10 minutes and appreciated it and thought of all the experiences I'd had and the lessons I'd learned from it as a human mind, at least. And uh, after that, I didn't look at it for a little while. And then all of a sudden it was gone. And actually my mind was so shocked that it was gone that I ended up mentally constantly thinking about the fact that I couldn't believe it left which was hilarious because I always read all that stuff about healing in the mind and all that stuff. And then I finally did it. And then I could not stop obsessing in the mind about the fact I was in disbelief. And so that disbelief kept putting attention and energy into my foot. And lo and behold, a little while after the wart went away, but after the attention kept going to the foot, to the foot, to the foot, I ended up getting, I think they call it athlete's foot or something in Bali in between my toes. (laughs) And I never had that before. So I didn't even know when it happened, what was occurring until it was like a bit more inflamed because I just didn't even know that there was a thing like that. But I think that's what it was called. But it was like one inch away from where the wart was. And I was like, oh my gosh, my mind, of course, as it's directing can help heal to a degree, but also can make it imbalanced by focusing. So focus, as Abraham would say, you know, where focus goes, the energy flows. So the the energy had flowed into appreciation and then the disbelief actually, in my awareness and the way I perceive it, created another energetic block, another manifestation of something. Because I was blocking, I could not believe that it actually went away. So all of this to say, with your eczema on your hands, You could try a massive amount of appreciation and releasing kind of approach. You could also try your inner voice if you wanted to as well. Interesting if you feel into it and want to do it, Slade is one of our facilitators doing in the Collaboratory Inner Voice and Chronic Pain. Obviously, eczema is something that usually is long-lasting or typically something you have for a like- Periods of long time in your life, so that class might be something to consider as a way of exploring that in more detail. It's not necessarily that it's physically chronic pain, but it's a chronic condition that has an energetic block associated with it. So yeah, feel into that, and if it feels like the right fit and you want to join it, you can. I think they have upcoming classes, but it's totally up to you. But yeah, I would inner voice on it, and you could try the thankful approach. That's pretty much all I can say from my own personal direct experience. Okay, now we have JC Mercer who said, hi Jess, I'd love to hear about your community and daily life in Portugal. From what you do for fun, what your favorite dishes, synchronicities that led you to meeting your friends, how you spend your time, if you're learning Portuguese, etc. Thanks Jess. That's a lot of questions. I'll try to answer them each. What do I do for fun? Well, right now we're in a lockdown, a very severe lockdown. This is kind of like nothing's really open, everything's takeaway or like lockdown basically. So when you go outside, you're basically out there for exercise or grocery stores right now. So what I do for fun in this period of time is uh, I just, I make my acai bowls in the morning. I've been sharing pictures of those. That's been making me so happy. And I've been really getting into delicious, glorious tea from the tea shop, which is a Copenhagen store that's also here in Portugal. Some amazing loose leaf teas I've been enjoying. So I've been making a lot of tea. And I've been making acai bowls. I love going for walks. I'm alone right now, almost all of the time. So I can call friends in other parts of the world and talk to them on WhatsApp sometimes. I like makeup videos on YouTube, so I watch a bit of that sometimes. And I spend a lot of time watching my mind, to be honest. I feel like right now, my joy of this experience is the fact that I can, it's so simple and slow at this moment, kind of like Hawaii was last year when I went really, really deep inside. I'm able to do that again and watch in deep, deep awareness, the mind full time. I'm kind of taking this time and treating it a bit like a meditation retreat. That's really amazing and an effective thing. I actually think these like little lockdown periods that have been happening for me, I've found that like sometimes in the lockdowns, because it's been such a long year (laughs) of all of this now. I would go out and depending on how far extreme the lockdown was, I would be, you know, going to the beach, going on long walks, doing IVFT training, all sorts of different things. And I also do cocoon and cocoa. That's also something I do at the nighttime once a week as well. So yeah, I've done things, but then there are periods where things get really shut down wherever I've been at in the world, or it's been an extended period of shutdown. And then eventually I just slow everything down and I go super deep and I just get really still and I watch the mind. And I listen to teachers like Anthony DeMello or Ramana Maharshi or Eckhart Tolle or Saguru's been showing up in my YouTube feeds a lot. So I've been listening to a bit of him too and learning more about his perspectives too. So that's what I do for fun. My favorite dish, Bajinius are kisses and there are these desserts that are called kisses or bejinus, and they are delicious little eggy, sugary little balls of delight. So I love those. What else do I love? Empada de galinha. Empada de galinha is like a I call it a chicken cupcake. It's a little pot pie filled with chicken inside. I first had them years ago. I for years and years was basically pescatarian because the taste for meat dropped out. I just like no longer wanted anymore. So I just stopped eating it. But these empada de galinas with the chicken, that's like the one thing that I actually do enjoy sometimes having and so whenever i've been in portugal i've had some of those i don't get them too often but when i feel like i have one a little bit of a savory snack and i'm out and about that's something that is so delicious and easy to get at all of the padarias and all the bakeries around and then also i love the polvo galau i think it's called polvo galau it's a octopus and it is sliced and it is so soft and subtle in oil oh my goodness If you go to Portugal, you're going to see octopus everywhere. It's like one of the national dishes, basically, that and bacalao. But the octopus typically often is in like the long tail. So you like cut that up, bite, by bite as you eat it. But the way I've loved it is when it's sliced very thin like coins and oil and paprika and spices, it is so delicious. And basically all the seafood. So I have a friend here who's a lively listener, Alexandra. And she and her husband, Sergio, before lockdown, they used to take me on these amazing little day trips around different parts outside of Lisbon to these amazing places. And they love seafood, too. They know how to know, like, all the best places for the best local treats and and eats. And so, oh, so good. So that's what I do. Synchronicities for led to meeting your friends. Portugal, Lisbon specifically, is The most like Bali I've ever been in, in the sense that the expat community is so often nomadically living and working kind of like there's a lot of people that live here that work online and can be remote, just like a Bali type of community or people traveling there. And so there's just kind of this ease at Kamoba, this cafe, actually, I've met a few friends there just by sitting at the communal tables back when cafes were open. There were these tables where if you had a laptop, you had to sit at this specific long table or two. And so the people that were using laptops are kind of relegated to this area. So it's kind of this easy way of sorting out the often nomadic working type of people and expats. And so I met people that would just start talking to me there or at cafes too. I've met people sitting at cafes or even at the lookouts and the kiosks outside. There's all these beautiful little parks and little areas to, in normal times, go get coffees and have meals and sit outside. And I've met people there too. So it's just kind of by being open, you kind of find that like energy and then you just start talking and you make a friend. How I spend my time, I just shared about that. And am I learning Portuguese? I know a little perfunctory Portuguese. Thankfully, I took Spanish when I was young. So at least it's not completely different. I can get away with like translating in my head, at least a lot of what I'm reading, like Uber Eats menus or whatever. But there are differences to Portuguese versus Spanish and especially how Portuguese Portuguese is spoken. So Portugal Portuguese is spoken very differently than Brazilian Portuguese. I understand Brazilian Portuguese way easier than I do the way the Portuguese speak Portuguese because of their accent. If you know, you know (laughs) how much it's a more difficult new beast, the way that they pronounce things. So there is a lot of overlap to Spanish sounds, but then the way they pronounce it totally shifts the word. So like flores would be a Spanish. Flores would be the, you know, and in a rapid succession of words, it's sometimes hard for me with the H that is often put at the end of an S, but there's no actual H on the word. It took a while to really switch out of not having the H at the end of S's from my Spanish because I could always have probably understood a bit more if the HE parts on the ends of S's were not there. But I do want to take lessons when my visa is complete, but I'm still working on getting the visa complete. So I've kind of just mentally been taking it one step at a time. And for me, the visa was step one. I was like, I will learn the language when the visa is done. I can like get away with going into an Uber or a restaurant and I can do a bit of it. I do as much as I can, but I'm not conversational yet in the least. So there we go. All right. Now we have Linda who said, how can I use manifestation to attract what I want more for business and also connections? Soul sisters in particular. Okay. So manifestation to attract more for business and also connections. Hmm. Well, as the collective in the Coco recently shared, there's kind of two ways to manifest. It sounds like you're more interested in the first way of manifesting than the second way. So I'll share on that, but this might hopefully clarify for people. Like it's interesting when, even if you listen to, let's say Eckhart or the collective talk about manifesting, you get an enlightened or non-physical perspective on manifesting. But let me see if I can simplify, clarify, and break it down a bit because I've obviously spent many years obsessed with this interesting topic. I just find it so fascinating like how this reality forms, not on the Newtonian physics level, but on the quantum into our personal lives level. That's always felt like the most practical and interesting area for me to personally study. So that's what I've always been drawn to. And here's what I can succinctly break it down. How to manifest the first method. You could say method one is to use the mind to focus on the feelings of the experience that you'd like to have. So you have to think about the vibration, emotionally speaking, of why you want the business and the connections in particular. So you can't have a frequency, an emotional frequency set point of, I don't have enough friends, I don't have enough friends, I don't have enough friends. Or I don't have enough business, I don't have enough business, I don't have enough business. Because you could even say your reticular activating system, which is a part of your brain, is going to sort for things that confirm the thought process that's going on in your head. And that will just find and sort for experiences <laughs> and only notice experiences that confirm I don't have enough friends and I don't have enough business because that's where your focus is. You always know when you buy a new car or you date somebody that has a certain kind of car, all of a sudden you start to notice that kind of car more often on the street, but those cars were always on the street, but you weren't tuned into the frequency of that car. In this case, it'd be that emotion it was going to confirm that manifestation in your life. So you want to have the opposite. So you'd want to have the abundance of business and the abundance of friends frequency activated or neutral. So either a positive, like I have the business or I have the friends or neutral in the sense of like, it doesn't matter that I don't have (laughs) the business or the friends. So that like, no emotion in the sense of not negative. So like a zero kind of, it doesn't matter either way, I could take or leave business, I could take or leave friends, because if you don't care in a sense that you're not gonna go negative if you don't have it, then you're neutral and it can still come in, because of course the preference in the mind's there, but the emotional negativity's not there. So as long as you're neutral or positive, emotionally speaking to the topic, it's useful. Whenever your mind is focused on the lack of the thing, Then the emotion goes, dips into that, what we call negative in this polarity, and it's going to create experiences that confirm the negative polarity. So that's method one, feeling as though you already have those things literally in the feeling form, because that's why you want them in the first place is actually for the feeling as Abraham and the collective or Eckhart, you know, all that would be said. Now, you also hear a lot of the collective or and even Abraham. I even told this to a new friend I made a little while ago who is learning about manifesting for their first time and I explained the same thing to her. Oh yeah, and I use this analogy. So I'm gonna use this analogy for you guys too. This might be a little bit of a longer answer to this question, but I think you guys might like it. This is gonna explain method one versus method two, the analogy I use for my friend. But the other method, method two, is just to surrender and allow. So where you don't even try mentally to focus on the emotions or focus on the experiences. Now, even Abraham will, depending on who's in the hot seat. So if you go on YouTube and you start listening to manifesting stuff from Abraham, pay attention. They're always answering the question that the person is asking and where that person's at. So does Eckhart, obviously, and so does the collective. So they'll answer to where the question's coming from. So if someone's coming from wanting to manifest in method one, Abraham or the collective or Eckhart will explain what I just explained. They'll explain method one. This is how you can do it with method one. But when they get someone in the hot seat that wants to do it or is ready to try to do it at method two, then they'll explain method two. So the other manifesting method is where you surrender, let go, and allow. (laughs) And if a mind is just getting started, you're probably not going to want to focus on that one specifically right now because you want to play with the mind and you want to use it and you want to see what it can do. So go for method one. But what you end up noticing after years and years of doing method one like I did in a lot of people hit this sooner or later, they don't have to take years of doing it. They could do it quickly and kind of go through that phase a bit faster is that you realize that when the mind tries to pick what it wants, it also often is so good at picking up resistance to not having it. And the mind is so hard to tune out of resistance to not having the thing it wants that you eventually kind of go, God, this is so inefficient because the minute I think I want something, then my mind is attached to it and thinks that it can't live without it. And then it's very hard to be positive without it. So sometimes method two is just like, oh, it's just simpler. It's just easier. And that is surrender and allowing. It's where you can hold a preference, but you don't have emotional mental attachment. So it would be nice if this blank thing happened, but I'm not going to emote about it. (laughs) It'd be nice if that happened, but I'm not going to let it ruin my day. It'd be nice if it happened, but I'm not going to let it, you know, get my emotions all out of whack. And then you guys kind of see what happens. Takes massive trust for the mind. The mind aspect of you in order to do method two has to trust that what manifests is in its highest good, and in it might be something that it wants. If it chooses not to get too specific and too deliberate and too activated, energetic, just allow it to happen if it's meant to happen and not stress if it doesn't, that takes massive trust on the part of the mind. If you don't have that trust yet, go for method one. If you do have that trust or you feel like you want to play with method two, because it's a lot less work on the mind and energy draining to try to get it out of the negative resistance to not having it, go to method two. Now, here's the analogy I gave my friend. Okay. So on Avenida Liberdade here in Portugal, there is a store called Maj. It's French. It's beautiful. M-A-J-E. It's a beautiful store. I also like the store bash, also French and on Avenue de Libertad, but I was focused on Maj probably have three or four mannequins in the window. Now, what I said about method one versus method two, here's how you can think about it conceptually for your mind. Method one, it's looking in the window. Like I would look at the window when I do look at it. And I look at the mannequins, of course, there's a whole store of clothing. There's a load of potentials that I could buy inside of the store but they only pick a certain amount because of how much space is in the front to show you. So the mind has two choices. How do I want to create? I can either look at the mannequins in the front of the store and you could choose like from mannequin one, two, or three, let's make it simple. Mannequin one is wearing pink. Mannequin two is wearing a purple dress and mannequin three is wearing blue jeans and a blue sweater. So you can look at the three options that you see. So the mind can only imagine potentials and like, ways of meeting friends or ways of having business come to your life or what kind of business even that you would have based on what it's seen before. Obviously, it's looking at the store. It knows that there's more clothes inside the store, but it can't see what clothes are inside the store. It can only see what's in the window. So the way the mind in this reality works is it can only see the mannequins. It can only see the options that it has seen in its own life or in someone else's life. It can only think of how many ways you can make a friend or have business based on what it's seen yourself have friends or business before or someone else that you've heard of or a friend that you know before. But you can't really make up something completely new or unexpected because expect the mind always has to have a reference point from past history to imagine into a future potential. So it's going to only be able to pick from ideas that it's had before. It can mash up ideas too, though, I will say. Like, it could say, even though there's a purple outfit and a blue outfit, I want to have the purple dress, but I want the blue sweater on top of it. And that's different. But it's like, yeah, but it's still the blue sweater that you saw and the purple dress that you saw. And you could even imagine the dress in the blue color or red color that you don't see on the mannequins. You're like, oh, that's creative. But you're still mashing up a dress style that you've seen before and a color you've seen before. So it's still not that different. It's not that new. So the mind can only imagine based on past history of itself or others. And it can only think about what it sees essentially in the window. So method one would be to say, okay, these are the options I have. These are the options I'm aware of. And I want the purple dress. That's the one I want the most. So then you feel as though you have the purple dress. That's the manifesting of method one. And you can even go in and buy the dress if you already have the money, but if you don't have the money yet, then you get to feel as though you have the purple dress manifesting, however it happens to manifest the money to buy the purple dress. That's method one. Now, method two, the surrender, allowing, letting go, having a preference, but not controlling how it occurs or what specifically occurs is basically knowing and trusting that the deeper part of you, the creator aspect of you that's not your mind Your mind is the tip of the iceberg. It is the tip of like the very little part of you. So the other massive part of you knows everything that the little tip of you wants. It knows what the mind likes. It knows every experience as Abraham says, you know, over all of the experiences you've lived, you've created a whole interesting coagulation of preferences. The inner voice, deeper aspect, wisdom, creator part of you knows is you and knows what the creature or the greater aspect of itself wants. So then what you would have to do is trust that either something you've seen in the window or something inside the store that you've never even seen before can come to you. And that's surrendering, allowing, and trusting. So it's like, well, I'd like the purple dress, but... I don't know. There could be four or five other pieces inside of the store that if I was inside the store, I'd prefer more than the purple dress. But the mind gets attached to the purple dress because it's seen the purple dress and it hasn't seen anything that's unknown, unfamiliar, and would be a surprise inside the store. So then when it's surrendering and allowing and trusting in the unknown, it gets to be surprised. And the creator part of you, that's not your mind, has unimaginable potentials, in a limitless potentials <laughs> to choose from for you. So it can be your personal stylist and say, I know you like the purple dress, honey, but you actually are going to like all these other things that I've got for you, picked out for you even more. And I could give them to you if you don't get so fixated on not having the purple dress. Because if you fixate on not having the purple dress, then you're just at the frequency of not having the purple dress, which is the negative side. So you just get more to reflect that you don't have the things that you want. But if you don't have preferences, you surrender and allow your creator aspect of you that is far bigger and has every limitless potentials to pick from, limitless ways to bring you friends, limitless friends to bring you, limitless and unknown surprising ways to bring business to you. It can happen when you step out of the way in method two. So it's your choice which one to play with. You can, you know, go between the two, bounce between both ways of creating, Neither one's right or wrong, but someone in the Coco asked a question about this. And I told the collective back, I was like, you know, I've done all that manifesting stuff and focus for so many years. I just can't even bother now. I just really love letting it happen and just seeing what happens and trusting the creator part of me to create. My mind can still hold preferences, but I'm not attached to having those specific things have to happen. The collective said, and I, it was so amazing and confirming, they said, that is the regal, I think they use the word regal, the regal way of creation. Is to truly trust and allow. Now, that doesn't mean method one is wrong. You can hear Eckhart talk about it. You can hear Abraham talk about it. You can hear the collective talk about. It. it just means that you can trust and allow and surrender and just not feel bad and just trust that the best things are coming to you without resistance. And then your intuition, your manifestations could be the purple dress if that's the best and highest for you or 17 other items inside the store that you haven't even imagined yet, but you would love even more. So an example of this realistically in my own life is like properties. I can only see the properties I have thus seen so far on this website called Idealista, or my friend who's a real estate agent has showed me. I can only see and think about what I'd like from the things I've seen before or looking at Pinterest pictures from other places in Lisbon or in other parts of Europe. But I don't have an awareness of which one. My intuition hasn't told me to buy any of them yet. So I am living in total peace and trust that the unknown is what I'm choosing. It could be a property maybe I've seen, like a purple dress I've seen in the in the window, but right now my intuition hasn't told me anything that I've seen in the window so far is the right thing. So I'm just living in patient trust and allowing that the best house I haven't even seen most likely or something that I have seen will turn out to be an even better deal or be even more aligned in the future. And I'm just living in the unknown, totally patient and trusting that eventually whatever's going to happen is going to be the best and highest for me. But I'm not worried about it in the meantime. So that's that method too. Okay. Now we have Jen. Good now. What a cute name. Good now. I love that. Jen. Good now. I'm good now. <laughs> I love that. I'm starting a podcast with my best friend. It could use any advice for new podcasters. What do you wish someone had told you when you first started? I actually answered this question about new podcasting tips last week. And I'm going to say the same tip, listen to your own show. And as you listen in listener mode, not in creator mode, you're going to see the preferences you have and ways to make it better. That would be my suggestion. Listen to your own show and edit and adapt and change how you do things as you go. Riding the wave. Thank you for sharing your life with us. Have you noticed as you've released old belief patterns or blocks that what attracts you, turns you on has changed? I've been learning about female sexuality and how deeply our nervous system is connected to it. Love to you. Yes, I have definitely noticed old belief patterns and blocks as that's changed. What turns you on is, oh, it's interesting. She said, turn you on. (laughs) (laughs) I was not thinking sexually when I read that at first, but obviously she follows it up about sexuality. Um, I have not noticed massive, massive changes about sexuality and what turns me on other than I guess like what I find very attractive in people, it would be their eyes. It has become way more important to me than I ever previously had, like the clarity and clearness of their eyes. And that's become more aware in terms of, I guess you could say, on in the energy of someone, how I feel around them has shifted into a more sensitive or aware state. But I was going to go non-sexually speaking to nature has become a massive place of joy that was not nearly as amplified years ago. So seeing the wind and leaves and the trees... I can watch that for hours. I'd rather watch that than TV any day of the week. I love watching the wind and leaves in the tree. Oh my goodness. That is like everything. The waves, the water, like water waves, anything I can see, nature's movement. So a natural nature movement, oh, that, that's my jam. So that and sunrises and sunsets, that all became way more emotionally Significant or or, or joyful in my life as I've released emotional beanbags over the years. Before, I always liked that stuff, but it didn't make me cry or it didn't make me want to wake up in the morning just to see the sunrise and like cry when the first beam hit the horizon. I was like, what is happening to me? This is so good, but I, who am I? Like, this has never happened to me before. So those kind of things happened. And I've noticed that more on the nature side than specifically like sexuality side. If anything, as I've released, I feel way more complete inside of myself. So the idea of being as focused on sexuality lately for me has become far more secondary to my inner world also, just as an observation of myself, at least for now. Now we have Jamie Dean who said, hi Jess, I love your Q&A episodes. I first learned about RTT through you and I've wanted to become a practitioner for a few years, but haven't yet taken the leap. I'm not sure why. I'm trying to differentiate if I'm genuinely waiting for the right opportunity to flow or if I'm actually just procrastinating due to my ego and fear of failure. So my question is, what advice do you have for someone on the verge of a career change who is unsure what exactly is holding them back from taking action? Thank you. There's six likes on that one. (laughs) So that's a popular question. So basically to summarize, what advice to have for someone on the verge of a change who's unsure what is holding them back from taking action? I would inner voice about it. Of course, I would go to the inner voice. Now, you can either ask the inner voice questions yourself, or like I said, if you feel like it would be helpful to have someone help you to hold that space for you and help you go deeper than you have in the past or for longer than you have and ask all the questions so you don't have to switch between mind and inner voice mode. The inner voice facilitators that are at the find a facilitator page could be something for you. Also, the collaboratory, you can scan the drop-in sessions. And if there's a business one or a money one you want to join, that could be interesting. But your inner voice will have the answers for why you're not taking the action yet. It could be emotional beanbags that are in the way, or it could be because the timing's not lined up yet. So for me, for example, with the property, I don't have emotional beanbags in the way that I'm aware of, but I know that it's not the right time because I'm not feeling the impulse to do something right now. So it's just not lined up. It's just still cooking in the oven. So your experience for the next career change could still be cooking in the oven and then it'll pop out and the manifestation will happen and then you'll take action happily and easily. Or there could be emotional beanbags in the way that are blocking you from the action your inner voice has been guiding you to all along. But your inner voice can help you know the difference between both of those and which one's true for you. Now we have Jackie who said, hi Jess, I love the podcast and I go back to listening to episodes when I need reminders. Could you talk about the beanbags and methods you use to clear them? I can recognize them, but reoccurring thought still comes up. I have a lot of old beliefs and I can see that as the thoughts are still heavy and I want to release that weight. Like I mentioned, it is the difference between me doing a podcast on surfing or you actually being with a surf instructor in the ocean I always recommend going to a facilitator to do an experience yourself with someone. So that would be my recommendation. And like I said, any facilitator could work or you could go to the drop-in class. It's specific for that. It's just, if I just give you words, it's just going to stay in your mind. So having the person help you get into the state of actually being able to release them is everything. If you're not in the state, it's just a mental game. It's just like, I conceptually know how to surf, but it doesn't mean you literally can surf when the waves come, when the emotions come. If you're not in the state of how to release, then it's not going to necessarily be effective. So that's the only reason I don't share about it and go into detail because it's just, I read The Power of Now. He talks about it there. Read it 15 times. Didn't know how to do it till I knew how to do it. And that was like, oh my gosh, it doesn't matter how many times you read something or think you know it or conceptualize it until you're experiencing the ocean on the board. You don't know until you're doing it. So- There you go. Now we have Lauren Labidi who said, Hi, Jess. What is the best way for coping with dating apps and the feeling of rejection? How do you release those thoughts and move on from taking it personally? Oh, I've had four, five years of dating apps. I haven't used them. I don't even know the last time I used a dating app. Months and months and months. Not a year ago, but a while ago. But I remember all those years because they are not that long ago. Best way for coping with dating apps and feeling of rejection? Well, Ask your inner voice if it wants you to be in the apps in the first place, because I was living in a state of emotional beanbag fear land So I thought my mind needed to go look for a partner. And so that was what was compelling me. My mind had a big story about traveling and how was I gonna meet people if I didn't go on a dating app because I was not in places for usually very long periods of time and I didn't have a career or usually a community or network of tons of people to know that could introduce me to people. So I had this huge story that I needed to use dating apps while I traveled especially. So for me, that held me in this state of emotional beanbag seeking mode for my partner and staying on the apps during that period. But now that I no longer have those beanbags, I no longer have any desire to be on the apps because I have no fear of a partner not showing up in my life nor having to show up in my life. I'm truly neutral. Like there's the preference for the partner if it turns out to be a great thing, but there's no negative downside to not having it, which is like, if you've heard the show for any amount of years, you're like, who is this human? They've abducted Jess Lively. (laughs) Jess Lively never used to say that because that's not how I felt before. But now I just like, he's going to find me. I started to realize as I was getting lighter and lighter on the beanbag load around relationship stuff and fear of not finding someone that I never had fear around my career. You know, like that was something that was steady in my life for so long. I would never consider going on like monster.com or an app or go to a career fair. You know what I mean? Like I might've gone to a career fair in college once or twice, but like, I just never would ever think that I would need to find a job by going to an aggregator of jobs. So I know people do find jobs that way, but just it never occurred to me to ever think that I would need to do that in order to find a career if I needed to change it up sometime. I trusted, basically. My mind trusted that if I was meant to make a change and something was meant to come in, that it would. Even like the one time I had like a once a week job when I was in the first few months of my jewelry company full-time after graduating college, I sold my jewelry. And the first store I sold to was called She One on Southport in Chicago. And the owner of the store, I don't even know if it's still there, but the owner at the time was working there seven days a week or whatever amount of days that she was open. She was always working. So she was looking for someone to watch the shop for her one day a week. So she asked me as I sold the jewelry to her, she's like, will you work for me one day a week so she could have a day off? And I think I made like 10 or $12 an hour. And it was like $100 or like $80 a day. And I would make my jewelry That day a week at the store instead of in my little studio apartment. So I was still working on my jewelry company all the time, but I would make the jewelry on like Wednesdays at the store and watch the store for her and make a little bit of extra money. And actually, that was such a gift for me at the time, even though I wasn't looking for that. I didn't want it. I only did it for a few months. Those few months, I was so hand to mouth with money and cash flow when I was just getting started that that cash allowed me to have like spending money to enjoy my life, like my friends with all these like really nice paying jobs. I was making just enough to get by and pay my bills with my jewelry company. So that extra money was just something I could go to Duffy's and watch the Michigan football game with my friends on Saturday. Or that was the money I could use to go to Tarasca's and go to get Mexican food. So I could like live a little bit of like a, I could still have a similar lifestyle, you know, with a little bit of money once a week to be like my friends, even though my general financial situation was so much different to them. So anyways, I didn't have to find that job. It found me. And any other opportunities that have flowed for my company and career have flowed to me since then. So... I just wouldn't think to go to monster.com or I've never had a LinkedIn profile, that kind of stuff. I never thought I would ever need to. Now, again, they're useful tools. And so are dating apps. I mean, so many people are meeting their partners now more and more on dating apps. But if they've got emotional beanbags, massive blocks like I've done in the past, I was just like a recipe for, I was anxious from my emotional beanbags and I was finding emotionally unavailable matches (laughs) on the dating apps. So it was law of attraction at its finest. My anxiety based on emotional beanbags was attracting emotionally unavailable people. I used to have all these, what I call them two week wonders. I'd throw myself into these situations and wholeheartedly think, you know, maybe this is the one. And then two weeks later it would be over. And so it was just All of that now without any anxiety, I have just total trust that if a partner wants to find me, he's going to find me. Because now I think of like babies and partners as like sold entities that if there's truly a deep, deep connection and desire on the non-physical side for reconnection or experience together on this side of the veil, so to speak, the energy will line up. I don't have to go seeking that energy. And that also doesn't mean I don't have to avoid the apps at all costs. I just don't feel the need to do it. And I also know there are, there is an energetic drain that I just don't feel the interest in even putting the energy into being on the apps for me now. So now I don't have to even think about the rejection because I don't have any compelling feeling of going on the apps. So (laughs) that is not about coping with the dating apps and feel good rejection. If those are beanbags in you, releasing the beanbags would be helpful. And like I said, you can even just hear from the whole story I just shared. What was giving me all of this anxious energy and then attracting, whether I was on the app or in real life, these emotionally avoided people (laughs) was the beanbags. So the more you can release the emotional feelings, and especially when you have these feelings on the app, when you feel those feelings, can you have the awareness when the feeling's up in and active in you? Have you ever felt that feeling before? If you have, and it's not the first time you felt it, that's most likely emotional beanbag land needs to be released. But as you do, you'll lighten up and those rejections won't matter to you because the beanbags that make you feel those feelings that feel bad when someone's not interested in you won't be... There, like now, actually, I've met a lot of people since I've been off the apps that have been interested in me, and because I have a lot of clarity and trust and no anxiousness anymore, I can just like hang back a bit and kind of get to know them a bit longer. And then I realize I don't need to date them; that they're not the right fit for me. I could date them if I felt like it, but the lately, I've been just meeting people that in like the last, I don't know, four to six months. I don't feel a connection to be deep enough to consider going forward. So there's no fear, there's no lack, there's no concern. It's just kind of like a letting it go and trusting that something new will show up. But then I actually, a little while ago, I met someone that I did finally like and I was excited about, and then he didn't like me. And I was like, well, that's fair. That's fine. No big deal. Like I just didn't like about six or seven people I've recently met. It felt good to like someone for the first time again. But the fact that he didn't like me made no negative impact or emotion in me. It was just like, I know what it's like to not be interested in someone that is interested in me. No big deal because there's no beanbags behind it all making it feel like it's bad. So yeah, I guess that would be the way, the beanbag releasing, there you go. That's like, I guess the easiest way to see it. Okay, now we have one more question. Dresden H said, repeating the questions. I have two questions if your intuition feels it's a fit. Oh, that's cute. Cause he's using my words that I always say. Number one, what do you draw the line between surrendering to something crappy versus striving for what you deserve? Where do you draw the line for surrendering to something crappy versus striving for what you deserve? Interesting question. I feel like one of these things is not like the other. So I would say that the way the mind has phrased the question has put two things that are not at odds with each other next to each other and made them a polarity. So I don't think that like one is true and one is false. This versus that, I don't think that they're, this is the clear winner and that's the wrong winner. I think they both have a winning depending on how you view them. So let's drop the line, but just say, what about surrendering to something crappy? I do not surrender to something crappy. Well, one thing, surrendering to something crappy, it is what it is. You know what I mean? Like let's say 2020, pandemic, it is what it is in the sense that fighting the situation that you're in globally or situationally in your exact situation, isn't going to change the global situation immediately, or if at all right now. So it is what it is. There can be a surrendering to not resisting what it is. Oh, I love this because what's coming to me is Eckhart. So I remember Eckhart saying about relationships, like fully accept the person or the situation you have to fully accept it. So it is what it is. Now, once you've accepted and you're no longer fighting what it is, you have a choice. In a relationship, as the context was presented in the book, he said, you can either leave the relationship or stay with this person. So let's say the person is abusive. You just say, it is what it is. This person is abusing me and they've done it for a consistent amount of time. Okay. That is what it is. Now I have a choice to either stay in the abusive relationship or leave it. It doesn't mean that you surrender to staying in a crappy, abusive relationship, but you do accept that that's the state of the relationship at that time. And you make the choice being what it is to either stay or to go, but you don't try to change the person instead. You accept the person and whatever they're presenting, but that means that you choose to leave if that's the choice you're capable of making. Or if it's a job, you say, this is the job and it is what it is. Now, once you've accepted and you don't try to change your boss or make them nicer because they may not be very nice to you, then you choose, do I stay at this job or do I leave this job? But you don't have to have resistance to the boss or to the job. You then make a freedom choice to stay or to go. Any of the mind stories are often limitations in the mind. Leaving the job. You can leave the job. There's no one keeping you stuck at the job. You can have debt. There's no one saying that you can't have debt unless there's you can't get a credit card or whatever. Like, I'm not saying you should get debt, but I'm just saying that like, even if you're like, but I have to pay the bills and I'll have $0 in the bank. People have $0 or negative dollars in the bank all the time. Like that is a choice that you have, but then in freedom you choose. It's so funny because as I know I'm saying this, this is totally valid choices to make, but I know conditioning of human minds is so <laughs> intense against polarities that it's like, oh my gosh, but I can't do that. It's like, well, whatever. Like I've had credit line debt. I used my credit line for my jewelry business for $15,000 so that I could spend 14 months creating this course that ended up making me $100,000. <laughs> that was the best $15,000 credit line I ever used. <laughs> like it is, f- businesses, massive businesses have debt. I'm not saying debt is good. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying it's a neutral tool that if your inner voice is in alignment with it, like mine was, is a tool that can be a bridge, that can be a tool for you. And it does not have to drown you or overwhelm you if it's used with discernment in intuition. But if you're spending furiously because you've got this emotional unsettledness inside of yourself and you're not in your intuition, that is not a useful tool. That is then like a seeking and exploration of how to feel better because you're at odds within yourself. I was in complete peace and alignment in myself when I used that tool for that period of time then I of course paid it off. And then I made massive more amount of money than I would have if I hadn't taken that time to do it. I knew that for me in that example, if you happen to have a job thing and this is feeling relevant, I didn't know it would take 14 months, but it ended up being that long. I knew I needed time, like going back to school to shift and like really put the pieces together of that course in the best and highest way I could for people. And that period would have been like going back to college, like an MBA program. And a lot of people go back to school for to become a lawyer, or a doctor, or MBA, and then they use a, a debt because they know that that debt will then later serve them to make more money in the future. That's the alignment that I had to the credit line debt. It was fine. It was fine. And it worked out because I was in alignment to the steps as it went, and I had no negative emotional resistance to having it. So I'm not saying that's a good or bad thing. It's a neutral thing. It's just how the mind and the emotions are lined up with it that make it not serve us in the best and highest way. Like sugar, there's nothing wrong with sugar except for how much someone's consuming, why they're consuming, and the beliefs around consuming it. That's what makes that something that is horrible for the body. Or someone can live a very long life eating chocolate cake every day, and it doesn't negatively affect them because their mind is in alignment, their emotions are in alignment, and their body's in alignment because it's not getting interfered with in a negative way. So. It's always about finding that intuition in terms of the surrendering to something crappy. Okay. Striving for what you deserve on the other hand, that's different. So strive. you can drop something that's crappy, but that doesn't mean you need to then strive for what you want. And I'm just going to refer back for the sake of time to that method one versus method two of manifesting, right? So you can choose in a sovereign choice, To either accept the thing that's happening and drop resistance to it or change it, if it's crappy, the other thing, striving for what you deserve, you don't have to strive. You don't have to effort for what you deserve. You can either choose method one or method two. You can either feel as though you already have the thing, would be method one, or you can just trust and allow. The next right thing to show up without any idea how or when the Easter egg, as I called it last week, it's like a little Easter egg is going to pop into your life. You just trust that it will. Now question number two, if you could guide your 19 or 20 Michigan business school self with all the knowledge of flow and intuition you have now, what would you tell your college self and what would you do during your college days differently and how? I'm learning to let my inner voice guide me through my academics and academic life. And I'm just curious. Thank you. Okay. What would I tell my college self? And what would I do differently? Well, first of all, one of the things I did in college, I was in this business school with a grading curve. So everybody was getting graded against each other. So 80% of everybody got Bs based on the curve. So it didn't matter if you got 98% on your test. If 80% of people got 98, that was a B. So it didn't matter if you knew all the information. It was just who knows the most information compared to the person next to you. So the people that got 99s in that case might've gotten A's. That 10%, everybody else got a B. And then if you got a 96, that could be a C if that was the bottom 10% on that test. I could see through the insanity of that. All that was doing was showing perspective, people that were going to hire these students, who was the best compared to the other people in the program in terms of testing on these topics. That's what the grading curve was there to show. It wasn't there to show how much information each person knew. Each person could get a 98 and know all of the information quite well, but that wasn't what was reflected in your grades. And so I realized that everybody was chasing the high end, chasing that A and they're all brainwashed into this like curving mentality that was happening. And I realized that I could either stress out massively trying to keep up with these people that are far better at mergers and acquisitions and regression analysis and statistics and this super competitive program, which was not entrepreneurial in nature and very quantitative. And that was not my jewelry design you know, <laughs> set of skills. So I realized I can either stress out and get a B or I cannot stress and I'll get a C or a B minus. Actually, I really get a B minus. That would end up being most of the curve. And so I just opted out of the stress and the race to the A and I just, didn't stress. And I, well, I think I was kind of stressed, sort of, by the stress that everybody, I was kind of like in the mass consciousness of it was stressful. But I, even though the stress was there and my mind was worried and a bit anxious, it wasn't worried and anxious at the point or at the expense of actually studying massively for things. I just kind of let the grades flow. And I'm really glad I did because I never ended up working with any, for anyone. I never needed to have some stellar GPA. I had a stellar GPA in high school and in the first two years of liberal arts college. College when the grades were actually what you knew, when the grades were reflective of the information that you knew and attained in yourself, loved it. I felt like that was a fair grading system that I could actually see my own progress, see my own progression, see my own acumen progress, like loved that, had great uh, GPAs. But then my GPA took a nosedive in the B school because of this curve. And I'm just so glad I did. I'm so glad I didn't study one inch more than I did. And I didn't study that much. I just got through it. I basically put my head down and survived. I would just probably tell that little younger self, oh my goodness, you're doing so good. You don't have to try any harder than you are. Like, do not even worry about it. Everything is going to work out. And even though you hate this right now, the actual fact that you hate it in this way of living and this work hard, play hard and this competition and all this stuff that you're seeing and you see so unhappily, you see through this clearly. Like you are unhappy with this, but this is going to serve you because it's going to show you how to help yourself and others as well. This is going to launch you into finding another way to live life that most didn't even know that was possible before. And this is the greeting ground where all of that desire is created within you. If you had a college career that was easy and flowing and fun, this burning contrast that's in you right now may not have created the massive amount of manifesting that's on your way. So this is like me kind of also thinking about to Abraham. They always say sometimes like people with the worst circumstances create the largest um, escrows vibrationally. And that's really what I feel like my college years were. I would tell my younger self, your life is going to be easier, fun, fluid, and more natural and effortless than you ever could imagine is possible right now. You're going to break the limits of what people in the school even believe they could have and you're doing a great job. So just keep going. (laughs) I would tell her she's doing a really good job and just keep going and don't worry about anything, anything, anything at that school at all. That's what I would tell her. So- Take what that you know means for you in whatever way, whatever part of your own life academically or career-wise or otherwise. I love you guys so much. And if you guys are liking these Q&A episodes, I will keep them coming. I still had about 10 more questions I didn't get to on this one, so I will leave it here. But if you're enjoying this format, let me know. And like I said, feel free to join us over in the app. And until next week, may something wonderful happen to you today.